you have your Bibles, would you open them, please, to the book of Job? The book of Job. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I encourage you to invite someone out for tomorrow night's services. Amen? They're going to be good. You don't want to miss it. Praise you, Jesus. Would you turn my microphone down a little bit, please? Thank you. Are you there in the book of Job? We have a lot to cover tonight. I won't keep you very long, but I think as we get into this, you're going to be astounded as you receive, I pray, from the Holy Spirit something hidden, something profoundly relevant to where we are right now and where we're headed in the not too many days from now. Can you say amen? amen. Let's just read a few verses and, and, and we'll get it right into it. Job chapter 38, beginning with the first verse, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare it if you have understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if you know? He's talking about Jesus. Hidden. The Bible says he made all things, right? All things were made by him and for him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's what the scripture tells us, right? So when this is a little key that the father is giving to Job as we get into this, but he's already directing his attention to a who. Not a what, but an individual person. Now listen, he says, who is, who, who has laid the measures thereof, if you know, who has stretched the line upon it, where upon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Those of you who know your Bible, you know that the, that the Word of God tells us that Jesus is the head cornerstone. Amen? God is directing Job to something incredibly profound that will explain all that he's going through. Verse 6, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who has laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea with the doors when it broke forth? As if it had issued out of the womb. When I made the cloud the garment thereof and the thick darkness a swaddling band for it. And I broke up for it my decreed place and I set the bars and the doors. As we get into this, you'll see that he's referencing hell itself. And then he says this, I, I, broke, I broke, in verse 10 he says, I broke it, broke it, break up for it my decreed place. I set the bars and the doors and said, hitherto shalt thou, he's speaking to somebody, come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Can you say amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for only that which you can give, O oh Father, which is the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, Father, that we may walk pleasing unto the Lord, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Help us this Passover night, Father, to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you the devil is defeated, and I pray that not one person within the sound of my voice would not leave here the same way they came or those listening by way of the Internet. And all God's people said, amen. amen and amen. One of the most mysterious books in the Bible is the book of Job. There's so much in there. 
it gives an account of a seemingly good man who never did anything wrong. When you hear those faith preachers tell you that, that Job sinned because uh, he had no faith or he said, that which I have feared has come upon me, and, and so he sinned because he had a negative confession. They're insane. They don't know what they're talking about. It was God himself who drew attention to Job and said of Job that he had never done anything wrong. There was nobody like him in all the earth, a righteous man, a holy man. So it's interesting, if you read the first chapter, you'll see that <clears throat> we're told that there was a day when the sons of God came before the Lord and that Satan came among them. So the first thing that we learn from that is that there is already a pre-existing adversary when this story begins. And scholars tell us that the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible, the first written and composed by Moses, some say. Even before Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, he wrote the book of Job. Now, when they come into the presence of the Lord, they come and gather, and God directs his attention to a servant in the Middle East named Job. And there is a reason why he does this. And we know the story, those of you who know your Bible. The Bible tells us that Job was then uh, attacked by the enemy for in a series of events that would leave him in an utterly uh, catastrophic, desolate condition to the point where the only thing left for him to do was die, but God said, everything that he has is in your power, but you cannot take his life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That ought to make some of you glad. Hallelujah. It is God who determines our days. It is God who numbers the very hairs on our head. It is God that, that sets a man up or brings him down. The devil has no power except what the Lord allows. Hallelujah. Now, so we know the story and how tremendous, incredible devastation comes to his life. He was the most famous of men. He was the man who, uh, it says there was none like him in all the east. In his testimony, as you go through this book, you'll begin to see things that he says of himself. I made a covenant with my eyes. I never looked at a woman uh, because I didn't want to defile uh, my heart before my God. I never did anyone wrong. I clothed the naked. I took care of the poor. He's rehearsing in his mind, what could I have possibly done to deserve this kind of an attack? He had known the joy and the pleasure of the hedge of God around him. The devil said, I can't get to him because you have a wall around him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And, 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 and so he is selected by God. Remember this, the Bible teaches us that you'll never be tempted, tried, or tested above that you are able. But God will, with that trial, make a way of escape. So the, the, the testing, though it's common to man, it may be a little heavier for this person here than for this person here, but the feelings, the emotions, and what they go through are equivalent. But the spiritual condition may be different. Now listen, stay with me now. So I'm laying this foundation. So by the time we get to God showing up, Job has had to endure criticism from a bunch of people around him, his buddies, who were all trying to tell him, you obviously sinned. You obviously blew it. Because all that we know about God testifies to us that he blesses good people and bad things happen to bad people, Job. 
So you must be hiding something. Uh, I, this isn't my message, but we need to be careful about when we look at other people when they're going through stuff and, and, and be quick to point the finger at them and say something against them. You have no idea what's going on in the spirit. You have no idea the, the plan and the purpose of God that's being worked out. So be careful. Because when God finally shows up, the first thing he says in Job 38, which is where we began tonight, is who is this, these guys, that darken counsel? Who are these people? These accusers of the brethren. And if you're not careful, when you read the book of Job and you read what they say, it is of the knowledge of good and evil that they speak from. It sounds so right. Some of the things I read in there, I go, well, that sounds, sounds right. But God said what? He said, who is this that darkens counsel and speaks words without knowledge? Everything they said had no light and had no knowledge. And this is the plight of all humanity. Because the whole world tonight, whether they're in the Middle East or whether they're in Asia, whether they're in South and Central America or Western or Eastern Europe or in Africa or the islands of the sea, everyone has an opinion about God and why things are the way they are. But only the children of God understand, if they follow on to know the Lord, why things are the way they are. Everybody has an opinion. In India, they have 300 million gods. In Asia or Tibet, they worship a big old fat guy. They cut him up in 12 pieces and shared his body with 12 different regions, and they have 12 different mausoleums to this guy. They serve a dead god. In the Middle East, they worship a rock that fell from heaven in the Kava, in, in Mecca. And they parade around it. They serve a prophet that's dead. But I thank God tonight. <laughs> As they were saying earlier, that we don't serve a dead Savior. Glory to God. We serve a resurrected Savior. A resurrected Lord. And he's coming again. Hallelujah. Now, when God finally shows up, he begins to speak to Job about some very, very powerful things. Tonight is Passover. Tonight in Israel they gather, and it's about this time or maybe a little later now, but they celebrated a Passover of their deliverance. Their deliverance was a type, if you will, of the deliverance that happened to us when John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Moses was instructed to take a lamb and to slay it and to place the blood over the doorposts of the house and that everybody inside the house, the Bible says that God told them, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's what we're celebrating today. When he sees the blood of Christ over your life, he passes over with his judgment and says, not guilty by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, that ought to make some of you happy. It does me. Hallelujah. <laughs> if it wasn't for, as they say in the side, if it wasn't for Jesus, amen. So, he shows up, and the Bible says that God comes in a whirlwind. The book of Ezekiel says that when Ezekiel was sitting by the river Chibar or Kibar in Babylon, that he looked, and out of the north, he saw God coming in a whirlwind. It was a fire enfolding itself. When God shows up into the natural realm, the elements begin to shift and change around him. He comes from the realm of the spirit into the realm of the material, and it causes the material world to be altered at his presence. And he comes to Job in his condition. And, and he, he announces from the whirlwind, who is this and who are these 
that are speaking things incorrect. In other words, he's saying as he begins to reveal to Job something first and foremost, that everything that's happening right now, you all have no idea what it's all about. God's a southerner, right? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, I know you're still going, where's he going with it? Now, listen to this. The first, now, we're going to talk prophetically to you. I'm just going to lay this out here for you. What you're about to see is extraordinary. And, and when God began to show this to me, I, I, I literally wept. I cried. I shared some of it with my family at our, we do a Sunday Bible study in Reno there. And, and it, the power of God. But over the weeks, as he's begin to, been showing me these things, uh, I, I began to weep and, and shudder and fear. Now remember, the book of Romans tells us that the natural world was designed by God to express something to the whole planet, saved or unsaved, that by the creation of the world, and you can look it up later in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, he says that by the creation of the world, we can understand his eternal power and his Godhead. So when he begins to unfold these things in Job, you think, and I used to think, I'm reading about, you know, you know, so he made the water, he made the earth, you know. That's a weird way to come to somebody. Especially when I've been going through all this, Job, right? Job's been going through all this, and all you want to talk about is the ocean? Come on, people. That's not what I want to hear. <laughs> I want to hear how you're going to get me out of this mess. Huh? But what he begins to tell him is so profoundly prophetic. Remember the Bible tells us in Revelation 19 verse 10 that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Everything in the book is a prophecy of what was, what is, and what is to be. So when he shows up, the first thing he tells Job is a prophetic declaration. What does he say? Gird up your loins. This is exactly what he told Israel the night that the Passover was going to take place and the death angel would pass through. He would declare to them the same thing. Gird up your loins. Why? Because you're about to be delivered. And you need to quickly move at my commandment. What God began to utter was so far deeper than we've ever understood. He says, gird up your loins, Job, so that we who would read it 6,000 years later would begin to understand what it was he was actually saying. This whole mess is going to lead to the deliverance of humanity and the universe as a whole. So get ready to move. Uh-huh. Gird up your loins, and I'm going to ask you some things. Verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. Why is he talking like this? Because remember, Job was being attacked not by a tiny little devil. He was being attacked by the author of destruction himself, the originator of of all chaos, the originator of all decay. For this purpose was the Son of Man manifested. What? That he might destroy. What? The works of the devil. What works? And when? He's beginning to move into Job's spirit and elevate his thinking. Because many of the things that happened to Job were under the natural realm, right? Fire falls from heaven, wind blows, hello? Biological attack, he got sick. The elements. But each and every expression that was brought against his life was not life, but destruction. Death, decay. It's what's happened to the whole of humanity. We had a hedge around our original father. The devil asked permission to go to him. 
Adam. And the man himself broke the hedge in that he partook of, of, of wisdom that was no wisdom and partook of knowledge that was dark and not light. And sin entered into the world. And then death by sin. And every genetic creation that would flow from the blood of Adam was instantly contaminated so that every human being was brought into the earth under the dominion of a pharaoh-like slave master known as the enemy. And this is what he's drawing Job's attention to. He brings him to begin to consider the earth. Remember in Job chapter 1, he tells them, he tells Satan, where have you been? Not like God didn't know where he was. He wanted him to speak it. He said, I've been in the earth, right, going up and down, to and fro. What was he expressing? You have confined me to this planet in the realm of this universe. I can't go anywhere else. But he wanted the devil to say it. And he wanted him to say it in the presence of all the other angels that had gathered that day when the sons of God come before God. This is the theme of the book. It's a prophetic book. And it's dealing with issues that occurred before there was ever a material world. And so he draws Job's attention. And he says, he says to him, where were you when I made the earth? Now remember, this is in connection with what he's going through. Always remember that as we go along. And I'm going to hurry. But this is in connection with what he's going through. He's saying the destruction, the devastation, all that you have witnessed, everything you have lost has its origins in a being that is attacking you from another realm, from another world. The destruction, the decay, the sickness, the disease, the wars, everything we see transpiring in our world today. It has its origins from a fallen being. That's what this night is all about. That it ended 2,000 years ago on Calvary's hill. The Bible says, had the princes of this world known, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Had the devil... Uh, ever known what God was about to declare to Job, he never would have messed with Job. <laughs> I don't know what you usually get on Sunday morning, but uh, it's Passover night. Now listen, notice what he says. He draws his attention to the earth. He says uh, that he measured it out. That means that it has a beginning and an end. This world that we see, it's temporary. It has a finite existence. Even the universe itself, great scientists and scientific minds are telling us it has a beginning. Everything they know brings it back to a, a singularity, they call it, from which everything material emerged. Well, it, all they had to do was go down to Walmart and buy a Bible for $3.95 because it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Didn't need to spend all those trillions of dollars to figure that one out, but at least they are figuring it out. It had a beginning. And God says to him, he says, where were you when I measured out the earth? There's, there's, there's a, a specific function, and, and I stretched a line upon it. I'm building something, and, 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 and I laid the foundation thereof. And then look what happens in verse 6. He says, and I laid the cornerstone in the earth. He's preaching the gospel to him. I'm building a house, and I'm laying a cornerstone. He's prophesying. This is the oldest book in the Bible. They don't know anything about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John yet. But he is revealing the gospel. That the very purpose of the earth is connected to the rebellion of the wicked one, and in it... I'm going to lay a cornerstone upon it that will build me a house. Uh, now listen. Your house has been destroyed, Job? Don't think that way. I built the entire universe. That little house you lost? Don't worry, because when it's all said and done, you're going to get double what you had before. He says, 
He says, where were you when I measured it, when I laid the cornerstone? Now look what happens when he mentions the cornerstone. What? When the morning stars sang. And what? When the sons of God shouted for joy. He's saying that when the cornerstone was laid, when the material universe was brought into being, and the, the morning stars and the sons of God are witnessing what God is creating, when he lays a cornerstone, it's as if they get a revelation because they understand something profound is happening. They begin to praise God. They begin to shout. Now listen, this is important because that word shout there of the sons of God, it means this. It's not just a shout of joy. It is a warlike cry of victory. That's what it means. When he laid the cornerstone, it wasn't until then that they got it in a measure, his own angels. They understood that there was a pre-existing conflict taking place and that what God was doing by laying this cornerstone, maybe they didn't understand it all because Peter says angels desire to look into the things we know, but they understood something about God, that he was getting ready to deal with the one who had unleashed death and decay into the eternal realm. And when he laid the cornerstone, they shouted like a military troop, a great legion, a heavenly host that said, glory to God, this is almost over. goes on to say, I shut up the sea with the doors when it broke forth as if it had issued out of the womb. You know, the book of Revelation talks about the sea, that there's a dragon in the sea. The sea, he's, he's referencing to Job, something was born out of a womb. Sin was in, unleashed in the realm of the spirit before there ever was a material universe. It broke forth out of the womb of the devil. Jesus said he's the progenitor or the father of lies. And that he was a destroyer, a murderer from the beginning. And he tells them, he says... Something broke forth out of a womb. He's referencing the very one that's attacking Job. And he's describing to him what this whole attack is about. That Job is a prophetic type. He is actually living out in his singular nature a type of Christ. The, the warfare that would come upon him as a result of all of humanity. When it's all said and done, Job will have twice as many sons, twice as many daughters, twice as many houses, twice as much as he had before. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose with not only Jews as his brothers, but Gentiles as well. He had twice as much as when he went down into the grave when he got back up again. Hallelujah. And, and so he begins to tell him, I shut up the sea. I put a limitation to it. I put doors upon it. When it broke forth, I held it back. Jesus said, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. And, and he's drawing his attention to the earth because this is where it's all come down to, this planet. <laughs> okay. Hallelujah. And, and, and notice what he, he emphasizes to him now. He says, I brought it here. Why is there a Leviathan in the sea? Why is there a devil in the sea? He's in the sea. A natural one, because God said there's a dragon in the sea. But also a spiritual one in the sea of humanity. There are two classes of people, the children of light, children of darkness. He confined him in the children of darkness, in the sea of darkness. The sea are peoples and tribes and tongues and nations. 
find him there. And then look what he says. I made a cloud, the garment of it, and thick darkness, a swaddling band for it. In other words, I brought it to the planet. I've confined it to the nations whose, whose prince is the devil. But I've surrounded it with clouds. Clouds represents the glory of God. And a swaddling band is the universe itself, but it works as a containment belt. He's literally saying, I brought it here to this planet, and I have surrounded it with my glory and, and belted it in so it can't leave. Where have you been, Satan? Walking to and fro, up and down in the earth. I can't go anywhere else without your permission. His glory is moving upon it. His swaddling band is containing it. That's what he's trying to say to Job. He's preaching the gospel to it. And he says this. Listen. I then broke up for it. I didn't allow it just to stay in the sea, but I broke something up for it. A decreed place. Are you hearing it? Of bars and doors. That's why it was so powerful when Jesus walked into that synagogue, opened the book to Isaiah, chapter 60, I believe it is, or 59, 61, somewhere in there. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty them that are held captive, to open blinded eyes, and to open prison doors. Before Jesus came, every soul, every spirit that looked in faith toward the coming of the Redeemer had to go to a holding place between hell and, and, and paradise. They would go to paradise in what was called Abraham's bosom. When Jesus goes down into, I'm getting ahead of myself, but he goes down into the lower parts of the earth and he leads captivity captive. He opens prison doors and brings the saints of God with him all the way to glory. He's residing in the sea, but I've decreed a place where he's going to end up. And when he gets there, it'll be shut because Jesus will show up later, thousands of years later in the book of Revelation when he appears to John on the Isle of Patmos and says, guess what, John? I have the keys of death and of hell. I ain't letting him out. You guys are deader than a doorknob tonight. My God. I ain't letting him out. I have the key. Oh, my God. We serve a powerful, mighty God. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then what does he say? He says, hitherto thou shalt come, but no what? No further will you come. And then he says what? Here. Proud ways will be stopped on the earth. He's going to be stopped. That's what he was telling Job. This one who's been messing with you, the devil himself. He talks like God, not like you and me. <laughs> this is how God talks. And he says, I'm bringing him to here and he will be no more. Hitherto, but no more. Now check, we're going, we're going to go quick now. And then he says to him, have you, now he begins to preach the gospel. How are you going to do all this, Lord? He says, okay, I'm going to show you how I'm going to do this. Have you commanded the morning since you were born? Have you caused the day spring to know his place? He's talking about Jesus. Morning is when, when, when darkness is driven away, the sun rises. It speaks of the resurrection. The day spring from on high, Peter called him. Do you know him? Of course he didn't. He knew he had a redeemer. And he knew that he lived. And he knew in the last day he'd see him. But God begins to reveal to him how that redeemer was going to make that possible. He says, do you know him? He's the bright and the morning star. He's the day spring from on high. And I'm going to show.
show him where he needs to go. Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Of me it is written in the volume of, of the book. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for my place or for me. I'm going to show him his place. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He made all things, and all, there was not one thing that was made that he didn't make. And the Word was made flesh, given a place. He says, he says I, have, you, have you commanded him? I come to do my Father's will. I always do my father's will. Job, have you, ha, do you understand what's happening, Job? I'm sending the morning. I'm sending the day spring. And this is why I'm going to put him in a body in his place. This is why, he says, that it, that is the morning, might take hold of the ends of the earth that the wicked might be taken out of it. study your Bible. However, I love you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. He's coming, Job. And when he comes, the result of it, when it's all said and done, is there will not be one wicked, not one vile, not one abortionist, not one crazy person, not one transgender, demonic-filled person who tries to infect your children, not another beast, not another false prophet, not another antichrist, not another leviathan, not another devil. When he's done, there will be no wicked left in the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he's, this is what he says in verse 14. You know how I'm going to do it, Job. It is turned as clay. It's made into clay. He, the morning, is made into a clay vessel. He has my seal upon him. And he has my seal and then he's going to seal them. Who? Us, his church. That seal are the marks that he bears throughout forever and ever. Remember when he was risen from the dead, Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I see him. Unless I can put my nails in his hands, put my hand in his, I mean, hands in his nail print hand, and in the si his side where he was pierced, in his feet, unless I touch him like that and feel those seals. to turn it to clay I will seal it and when I seal him what? They stand as a garment oh my god who's they? that's you <laughs> you remember Joseph's the type of Jesus right? what did his father make for him? a multicolored coat he was, that multicolored coat is every tribe, every nation, every language. It is the church of Jesus Christ in type covering Joseph. He says, I'm going to seal him, make him, a, show him his place, make him into a body. I will seal him and they will arise and become a garment for him. Hallelujah. Come on somebody, my God. The church of the living God. He goes on to say, and check this out. You wonder why your loved ones think you're crazy? Because he said, as a result of them becoming a garment for the Lord, he's going to, he, they're going to make a garment. And look at this. He says, they will stand as a garment. It speaks of the empowering of the spirit. That's why we were encouraging you at the beginning when we were saying, Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. My God, you start rehearsing that. You start talking about, you talk to him that way. You talk to yourself that way. You talk to the devil that way. And before you know it, you're going to be walking with your shoulders squared and acting like King David who wants to kill giants. Having done all to stand, they stand like a garment. Hallelujah. Because he says, and from the wicked, what? Their light is withheld. They don't get us. 
was strange to people. Oh, there's more in God than we've ever known. The bride has made herself ready. He's calling you. He's crying out to his church. He's revealing things hidden from the foundations of the world. The veil is taken away in Jesus. When he cried, it is finished. The veil in the temple tore from the top to the bottom. That means God was more anxious to get to him and to us than we were to get to him. He tore it from the top, not from the bottom up, but from the top down. The Bible says that the father sat on the porch and saw the prodigal son coming. He rose when he was a great way off and ran to him and hugged him. He loves you. The wicked, they are hidden, uh, and from the wicked, their light is withheld. And what's going to happen? He says, this is all being done so that the high arm shall be broken. Oh, my gosh. Hallelujah. The devil is a liar. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who are you? <laughs> Hallelujah. He knows who you are better than you do. It's why he tries to disrupt your life. Because he sees the light of God upon you. But you are being used of God. The church in the last days is being prepared to stand as a, wit a witness in this dark hour that the high arm was broken 2,000 years on, on Calvary ago and he's coming again and try all the dictators as they might, all the kingdoms of this world, all the armies of this world, all the backslidden Christians of this world, all the fallen idolaters of this world, none of them will be able to prevent the high arm from being broken and the establishment of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He says, broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea? Have you walked in search of the depth? Have the gates of death been open for you? No, God, it, they haven't been. But he's saying, but they're going to be open for my son. He's going to go down. When you hear preachers talking about how Jesus went to hell and he got beat up and kicked around, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Every price he was going to pay, he paid on Calvary. And when he said it was finished, he didn't say it is finished till I go to hell. He said it's finished now. And the Bible says he went into the lower parts of the earth and he kicked open those doors. Hallelujah. Have, has hell opened for you? Well, it's going to open for one in the future. He's called the morning. He's called the one sealed in clay. He's called the day spring. He's called the cornerstone. Yeah. Hallelujah. Have the gates of, of death been opened for you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you perceived the breadth of the earth? He's asking him, do you understand what the earth's all about? Do you consider its wide breadth of purpose? Where is the way where the light dwells? And as for the darkness, where is the place of that? That you should take it to its bound, to its ends. That you should know the paths to the house thereof. Do you know it? Because you were, you were born when all this happened? In other words, when we get all messed up, think in terms of the eternal and not the temporal. The great apostle Paul said, set your sights on things above and not on things below. Hallelujah. 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 He says, he says, uh, in verse 20, that you should take it to the bound thereof, that you should know the paths to the house of it. Uh, knowest thou it because you were born then? Think in broader terms, Job. Something magnificent is happening here, and I'm declaring it in the earth. Uh, or do you know these things because you're so old? No. He said, then he says this. He transitions. 
We already have a church born. We have a resurrection being declared. And we have the gates of hell not being able to stay closed. Remember what Jesus said? <laughs> Upon this rock, the belief in me, will I build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to go up to those gates and speak the word. And they will collapse. And I will gather all the saints of old and take them with me to heaven. And in the interim 2,000 years, they will be looking down on you, urging you as a great cloud of witnesses not to give up, not to give in, but to begin to cry out to him because the day of reckoning and the restoration of all things is at hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, so then, he, go, then he, 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 he talks about two things, and we're almost done. He says this to him. He says, look, in verse 22, he says, Have you entered into the treasures of snow? Talking about, talking about the gospel and its effect. Remember what he said in Isaiah? Come, let us reason together. Though your what? Sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They're treasures, Job. It's a treasure in him who makes you white. 2,000 years ago, he did that for us. Uh, 2,000 years ago, tonight. He is the treasures of snow. There is a fountain. And it's filled with blood. It's drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty state. Hallelujah. Have you seen the treasures of snow, Job? But look what the treasures of snow will produce when the gospel reaches its end. He says, then comes the hail. Treasures of the hail. Judgment is a gift from God to his blessed creation, to his son, and to his church. It's a treasure because it will do away with all wickedness. He says, first the snow, then the judgment is coming. And he says, I have reserved that treasure of the hail, which I have reserved, what? Against the time of trouble, that's our time, and against the day of the battle and the war. He's talking about Armageddon. For that battle and that war, here comes the rapture. What way is the light part? Hail and judgment coming. But then he references the light being separated from the darkness. It's parted. It's taken out. It's removed. Ah! <laughs> Hallelujah, my God. Oh, my God. I'm having a good time. All right, so listen. So where, by, by what way is the light parted? And check this out. Remember we started this whole prophetic thing when he said, gird up your loins because it references Passover? which is a prophecy of the judgment coming on the world and, and the result will be the liberation of the children of God. Now he's talking about the gospel, the treasures of snow, and then he goes into it and references the hail, and then he takes us to the battle of Armageddon, but then he interjects, there's something coming where all that is light will be parted and split and divided from the darkness. And he says, and he, and he describes it this way. He says... He says by verse 24, by what way is the light parted which scattereth, what? The east wind upon the earth. Where do you remember hearing about an east wind? Bring it in. Go quickly over to Exodus. Exodus. I know you knew this, but go over to Exodus. Help me, Lord, not to be so stupid. All right, me personally. Exodus 
this out. Exodus chapter 14. This is Passover night, children. I'm preaching to you a Passover message, whether you realize it or not. Hallelujah. Okay. The light will be parted as the east wind upon the earth. Are you there in Exodus? Look what he says. And he says, in verse 21, it says, 1421, it says this. It says, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong, what? East wind. <laughs> Hallelujah, man. Troublous times are ahead of us. You, you all know it if you're praying and seeking God. You sense it. It's going to come quickly. But what he was prophesying to Job and what he was prophesying on the Passover night and what he was prophesying as the children of Israel found themselves surrounded by enemies uh, with a Red Sea in front of them and with Pharaoh's army, a type of the satanic forces that will seek to destroy the children of God in this final hour. He says... I'm going to part the light at that moment, church, and I'm going to blow the east wind. For those who had ears to hear who would read it thousands of years later, what he was literally saying to us was, just as I delivered Israel at the Red Sea, when Jesus moved in that cloud and peered at the devil in fire out of that cloud at him and kept him from the children of Israel and that east wind blowed and parted. And what's going to happen? The heavens are going to be rolled up as a scroll and his angels are going to go gather you and me out and this world and the wicked therein will be removed. Job... Let's finish with Job. We're almost done. Now look. So he says, he says I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to part the light. I'm going to separate my children. I'm going to deliver them with the east wind upon the earth, the whole earth. He's going to send his angels to gather them out, out of the whole earth. And, and, and just like he did for Israel, he's going to do for us. Not too many days from now. And he says this in verse 23. So that we know what he's talking about. He says, who's divided the water course for an overflowing of water? He said, I divided it, so there's a course in it, and then I overflow. That's what he did to Pharaoh. That's what he's going to do to the devil. That's what he's going to do to every wicked human being on this planet who has rejected him. He's going to deliver us. He's going to part the light from the darkness. He's going to catch us up in the wind of the Holy Ghost. And he's going to flood the earth with his judgment. He says this. He says the result of it is so that he can send rain on the earth. Spirit. Holy Spirit, rain down, rain down. When I'm done, he says, there won't be nothing left of the earth. I have to remove. There won't be any man. There'll just be a wilderness where there's no man. But it's so that I can send a refreshing on the earth once all wickedness and once the devil himself and his children have been destroyed. Then I will satisfy the desolate and waste ground, and I will cause the bud of the tender herb to bring forth. Peter said there's coming a new heaven and a new earth. A thousand years ago, the Lord made it possible. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I encourage you to invite someone tomorrow night. Because the word is going forth.
if you have any needs here tonight, but we're going to open the altar. And we're going to sing Holy Spirit Rain Down Again. Only this time, with a little bit more information in our head, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm not going to limit the altar call. If you need prayer, just come up and we'll pray for you. You know? And, and you over or punch you or anything. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your word. Do you begin to play Holy Spirit Rain Down? We need some sound. Can somebody turn on the sound? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious people that have gathered here tonight. We thank you for the glorious word that you are revealing to your church. We thank you for our great Savior, our cornerstone, our morning our day spring, our clay that was sealed in order that we might become a garment hidden in the light. He that is coming, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I am, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Lord, Jesus the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, our Savior, our God, our Deliverer. Cause the east wind to blow, O Father, on the hearts of your people. Part the sea and the obstacles between them and you, Father, through Christ our Lord. Bring them into a deeper walk. Meet the needs of their families. Help them, O oh Lord, to catch a glimpse of the real and the true. To break free from the veil that blinds us in this material world. Help us to understand, as you told Job, all these things are coming to an end, and there will be a new bud that springs up, new rain that falls. And so let it be upon their lives this night. And may you reveal Jesus to them, not just now, but throughout the night and all day tomorrow. Don't let them sit still at home and think they're okay. They don't need to show up. They need to show up. I command you in the name of Jesus to show up and call five people and tell them to show up. Yeah. Hallelujah. And now we're going to open these altars. And as we do, I just want you to come. And you don't have to come if you don't want to, but just come and lift your hands and, and ask him personally. He hears your prayer. Well, why do I have to come forward? There's something about stepping out, you know. It breaks things from us. We're all brothers and sisters in this house tonight. No one is perfect but, but one. Lamb of God, which took away the sins of the world 2,000 years ago tonight. And as we sing it, I want you to come, whatever the need may be. Holy Spirit, why don't you come? I don't know if it's healing, if it's deliverance, if it's oppression, if it's a love God's people. I claim their families for the kingdom of God. 
pray for that addiction to be broken in the name of Jesus. I pray for that pornographic image that won't let you go to be loosed in the name of Jesus. You stop tormenting God's people. You foul and unclean spirit. I rebuke thee in the name of Jesus. I speak healing to their body, healing to their flesh, healing to their mind, healing to their spirit. Oh, son of the living God, resurrected Savior, touch your people, bless your people. Those of you listening around the world right now, I'm praying for you too. Make an altar where you are. Let him touch you. Let him move into your house. Get rid of those things. It takes one adjustment, one thought, and he's there. You take one step toward him, and he'll run a million miles to get to you. He came all the way from heaven. What more does he have to do to prove he loves you? Reach out for him. Take him into your life and heart. He loves you. He loves you. Hallelujah. Father, we bless them in Jesus' name. We bless your people in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God.
deliverance in the blood of Jesus.